After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined on the phone today by the incomparable Ben Babler. Ben did the Philly system for us again this year. He's done it for a few years. Ben, the Phillies in the past have had some really, really uh, highly rated farm systems. We've seen some of that talent come up to the majors. Aaron Nola, Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingery, and J.P. Crawford both had their rookie years last year, although obviously neither was particularly successful. When you look at the Phillies as a whole, uh, where they are at the major league level and where they are now with their farm system, uh, just how do you kind of see them? Because they, they disappointed a little bit this last year. Crawford's been traded. Um, there's talent in the system, but it's more shallow than it was before. Uh, is this a team that can really contend in the NL East with the Braves and, and now the Mets with what they have, or are they going to have to make a move? Well, there's some pretty big moves that uh, that they could potentially make uh, this offseason. So it's, it's kind of like hard to peg a, a win total for the Phillies in 2019 just yet, depending on whether obviously – um, Machado or Harper end up in in Philadelphia. Obviously, that's going to swing things pretty significantly. But but e- even if they don't get one of those two players, I, I still think this is a a, a playoff caliber team. Uh, you know, they they made some trades to to upgrade. They they added Robertson. That the back of that bullpen is going to be really good. I think with him and. Uh, Dominguez and, and a whole bunch of other guys in there that I think are going to be uh, an upgrade from, from what they had last year and in an area or two where I think they could get some help from the farm with some maybe some guys like Edgar Garcia or Kyle Doey is a, you know, a sleeper for, for them. But, uh, but yeah, I do think this is a team that you know, certainly should be contending. They've, they've had so many years being, and I guess, just below 500 now and, and missing the playoffs. This is this is what they've been rebuilding for. I think you can look for, uh, you know, or at least hope for uh, potential breakout type years from, uh, you know, somebody like Nick Williams or uh, I think King, Scott Kingery could take a step forward. You know, Alfaro, Michael Franco is still young in his, in his mid-20s. I mean, these are all guys who I think could take big steps forward for them and, you know, e- even more so than help from the farm system where I do think they have, Pitching prospects who are, are going to help them, not so much on the on the position player side. I don't think they have a a ton of help coming there. That's going to come more from 
uh, you know, either free agent signings or internally those, you know, those younger graduated prospects stepping up and, uh, you know, taking that, that next step forward. But, uh, you know, whether it's from an, an Eniel De Los Santos or, or Ranger Suarez, um, you know, potentially Sixto Sanchez, I, I wouldn't rule out him uh, helping this year or possibly even, even Medina would be kind of an aggressive timeline for, uh, for those guys, but uh, but I do think this is a team that should be able to to contend for the playoffs this year. You know, one of the things that was the biggest fault to the Phillies, and it was very very visible, was they overestimated how interchangeable a lot of their players were defensively, and as a result, they were horrendous defensively. For me, one of the best moves in the offseason period uh, for any team was the trade they made with the Mariners. A, you get Gene Segura, who is the only shortstop in baseball to hit 300 with double-digit home runs each of the last three years. For my money, he's one of the most talented shortstops in baseball and one of the most underrated players in baseball, period. But by doing that, they also move Carlos Santana, bring Reese Hoskins over to first base. So all of a sudden, you've significantly upgraded your, your outfield defense just because Reese Hoskins is no longer out there. You let him play his natural position at first base. And frankly, shortstop was a mess. We saw Scott Kingery uh, really should not have been playing there. It was foolish for the Phillies to even try, just to be frank. And that came out during the season. Some of the pitchers flat out said it, that he was not making plays he had to make. J.P. Crawford was startlingly unreliable there. All of a sudden now, you have a real shortstop. Your outfield defense gets a lot better, Hoskins being at first base. You, know, you mentioned all these pitching prospects, and obviously the stuff and what they have is important, but... I do feel like by improving their defense, the Phillies not only have helped you know, the big league product in a, you know, just on its own, but they've also made it you know, easier for their, these pitchers to come up and have success, whether that's De Los Santos, whether that's Sixto Sanchez. Uh, we saw a lot of guys get their first taste last year. They still have some young arms and guys who are inconsistent like Vince Velasquez and Zach Eflin. I do feel like the fact that they've just maneuvered their defense around is going to benefit their pitchers, the ones currently at the big league level, and the ones still still to come. Yeah, I think anytime you take uh, Reese Hoskins out of left field where he can't really play, and Scott Kingery away from shortstop where he can't really play, like you said, that's that's gonna help them. The team just seems like it's gonna it's gonna fit a lot better <laughs> uh, defensively than it than it was last year where they were trying to mix and, and match guys uh, at, at positions they, they really aren't suited for. Square pegs and round holes doesn't work out too well. I, I do want to get to some of the, these young pitchers. Um, obviously, you mentioned you know Sixto Sanchez is the big guy. If you look at the Phillies' top 10 available online at Baseball America, seven of the top 10 are pitchers. Sixto's been a premium prospect uh, for a little while. He did not pitch a whole lot last year uh, with injury, and it was... You know, not a completely lost year, but at least from the outside looking in, it, it seemed mostly lost. Uh, you know, through 46 and two thirds innings, um, they were good innings when he was out there, but still not a huge sample size. What's the overall status of Sixto Sanchez as we sit here right now on you know January 4th, 2019? Yeah, I mean the Phillies insist that he's you know he's healthy, he's ready to go in spring training. I you know I I don't think they're uh, you know, I don't think they're wrong. At the same time, they're still added injury risk, added durability risk. Then we're talking now compared to when we were talking a year ago going into the 2018 season. He had uh, an elbow injury, right elbow inflammation, and they thought he was going to come back by the end of the year, and then he didn't. And then they thought he was going to come back and pitch in 
the Arizona Fall League, and uh, he didn't come back and pitch there either. So, you know, like they, they say he's healthy now. I guess, you know, we'll see. I mean, he we've never really seen him throw more than, uh, you know, what, 100 or so, uh, I think 95 innings in 2017. That was his career high. Yep. And, you know, granted, like he's still, what, he just turned 20 years old. Uh, last summer, so it's it's not like he's uh, you know 23, 24, you know like an Alex Reyes, for example, who who hasn't shown the ability to uh, you know to handle that starter's workload uh, or has a lot more questions with marks at least there. Uh, Sanchez has never had the uh, you know he's never been cut on, he's never had an operation or anything like that, but it's definitely still uh, a concern. But I think that if he goes out, he can go out this year easily and and put a lot of those. Uh, you know, put a lot of those ease. It certainly at least ease a lot of those concerns because when he is healthy, uh, you know, this is you know after Forrest, I think you can make a case that after Forrest Whitley, he might be the best pitching prospect in baseball. And if, if it's not Sixto, it's he's certainly in that conversation of guys right after Forrest Whitley. It's uh, it's an electric fastball. You know, you can miss bats with the. Uh, the changeup, that's uh, a plus pitch for him at times. The, I think the slider, I think that's going to be a, a key pitch for him. He was making some progress uh, with that pitch before he got injured, but, uh, you know, only making eight starts, it wasn't a lot of time for him to, you know, to really really show that. And, and it's a guy who, you know, a lot of times we're talking about these, you know, hard throwers who, uh, you know, <laughs> have a lot of trouble finding the strike zone. Obviously, that's, that's not an issue for for Sixto Sanchez, this guy is a, a really, really, really advanced strike thrower. So uh, I think just health is really the the key for him. And, and there's some kind of guesswork that we're we're doing on that in terms of his durability. But um, but really, I think that's the the most important thing for him is just to to stay healthy because I don't think there are too many questions on him when it comes to either the the stuff or, or the ability to to locate that stuff in the zone. Yeah, there's no question when he's on the mound, it's, uh, it's pretty special. It's just, as you mentioned, staying on the mound is uh, not something he has a long track record of doing. I'll be curious to see how many innings he really throws this year. Uh, you know, you mentioned guys get hurt, especially pitchers, we know that. But when you start missing multiple target dates for recovery, you mentioned end of the year, he's supposed to be back, he wasn't. Oh, he's going to pitch in the Arizona Fall League. Well, he has another setback with his elbow. Um, always a little bit concerning. You know, he is a smaller guy, um, and while size does not always correlate to injury because at this point everyone is getting hurt if they're pitching, at the same time, is there a sense that that is going to hamper his durability long-term? And do, do the Phillies think it's related? No, I, I don't think so. I think, uh, like you said, it's more about the, the pitching, the fact that he's being, you know, the fact that he's pitching more than the fact that he's six. I mean, he's a pretty sturdy dude. He's probably you know, two ten, six foot, two ten, something like that. Um, he's a pretty strong guy. It's just, you know, we, we do see a lot of really, really hard throwers who, who are going down with uh, with injuries. We see a lot of guys who don't throw that hard, too, who uh, are, are going down with, with, with elbow injuries. So um, I, I think, and, and he's a, you know, a pretty easy delivery, too, that he throws from. Um, so it's, just one of those things I think where it's the fact that he's a, a pitcher more than anything else and uh, a pitcher who already now has uh, a track record of having an elbow injury that kind of elevates that risk for him. Moving on beyond Sixto Sanchez who was the clear number one uh, in terms of you know 
where the Phillies uh, system was going to rank out. Alec Bohm was their first-round pick this year, number three overall. Uh, Wichita State, big power-hitting third baseman. Did not have, you know, the strongest debut. Normally you'd say, hey, it's a long season, it's a college guy, you know, it happens. But given the Phillies' fairly rough track record of, of drafting hitters in most recent drafts, uh, Cornelius Randolph, Mickey Moniak, um, you know, Adam Hazley's done well for himself, but, but I don't know if anyone looks at him and says, yeah, that guy should have been, you know, taken where he was in the top ten. Just to be frank, the Phillies' track record of drafting hitters in the first round um, is not great. Any concerns there that something was missed with Alec Bohm in your discussions with evaluators, or are they just chalking it up to he'll be fine? It's just been a long season. Yeah, I think probably more the the latter with him. I just got to take every player on on an individual basis, and and with Bohm, I, I think he's different than you know, Randolph or, or Moniak, a couple of high school guys, and, and those were two really prominent high school guys who had, you know, teams have built fairly extensive histories on them, but history relative to a, uh, you know, an 18-year-old high school player playing against, you know, competition of other teenage high school <laughs> players, whereas with, with Alec Bone, we have a pretty significant track record of him hitting against, uh, you know, much more advanced college-level pitching, doing it with wood bats in the Cape Cod League. Everything is, is still there, uh, you know, bat speed, leverage, power. Um, you know, he's, he's a big guy. There's, there's going to be some some length to the swing and then a lot of a lot of strike zone to, to cover, but he has a pretty good understanding of the strike zone. I think it, for him it was really more just to – uh, you know, kind of a. It wasn't like he was up there striking out 30% of the time or, or anything like that. Um, you know, if that was happening, that'd be a little bit more of a a red flag for me. But for him, I just think it was just uh, not such a great uh, initial pro debut for him. But I, I expect he's not going to have a any real issues when he goes out next year to uh, uh, you know pro- probably to high class A, probably to Clearwater, the same path they had Hazley on. Um, I, I don't expect him to uh, to have any any major struggles there. In the course of this process, was there ever any question that Alec Baum was the number two prospect in this system, or was there a debate? Yeah, it, it, I think actually it was uh, it was pretty close between him and and Luis Garcia uh, because I think he made the case I think he made the case that Garcia may be a better prospect now. I think he probably has more upside too because Luis Garcia is he is really really good um, he is a, a shortstop who can make all the flashy plays at, at shortstop really good instincts uh, just like a, a nose for the ball at shortstop uh, gets good jumps off the bat he's not a he's not like a burner type of a runner but he's, he's got a really quick first step uh, reading balls off the bat, good range, plus arm, very fluid with, with good body control in the field. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, you had probably written the same kind of report on, you know, 17 or, or 18-year-old Gulf Coast League shortstops where they can, uh, you know, make the acrobatic plays but don't make a lot of great decisions <laughs> in the field, so they have to cut down on mistakes. But Garcia is interesting because he, he can make all the really high value type plays to, to save a lot of runs, but 
also doesn't he's also very consistent fundamentally on on the routine plays. He, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes that you see a lot of young shortstops make. So defensively, you were talking about a you know a seven you know now he's 18 years old, turned 18 after the season, uh, a guy who has a you know potential plus if if not better defensive shortstop, uh, and then also he led the GCL in in hitting and and was number three in <laughs> in on base percentage while making his pro debut, skipping over the the Dominican Summer League as a 17 year old, uh, really good really good bat control. I think there was more of a split camp on, on his bat uh, as an amateur in terms of how much how much impact he was going to get. I, I don't think he's going to be a big power hitter by any means, but the the bat control, the, the ability to, to make contact, put the ball in play, use the whole field uh, from both sides of the plate, and, and have a pretty good approach, too, of the pretty solid uh, feel for for the strike zone. It was, uh, was really impressive. So if you have a guy who can hit at the top of the lineup and play that kind of defense, that's, that's a really, really exciting player. The difference with, you know, him and Alec, you know, Alec Bohm is that Bohm has a, a much lengthier, a much lengthier track record of, of him having done it um, for, for a longer period of time than Garcia. And he's, he's closer to the big leagues than Garcia. But, you know, when we're talking, I don't even want to say, you know, this time next year, we might be talking, you know, mid-season, I could absolutely see Garcia being flipped ahead of Bohm. And, and at some point, I mean, Garcia is a type of talent where he could end up being the, the number one prospect in in this system before, the, before he gets to the big leagues. With Garcia, you know, you mentioned just how impressive he was, both in terms of his ability to be flashy and play mature baseball. He was 17 the entire uh, season in the Gulf Coast League. This was a high school junior going out and showing up pretty well against professionals who were two, three years older than him. Uh, you know, you mentioned that potential, you know, top of the order guy, you know, shortstop. He's still a baby. Again, just turned 18. He'll be 18 all of next season. But given that he's so advanced and his ability to play, you know, with older competition and, like you said, has a mature approach, is able to make, you know, smart plays at short, not just flashy plays, how quick do you think he can move? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think he, you know, I wouldn't rule him out being the big leagues by the time, say, he's 21 or so. It, it's it's tough. I, I think that jump from, uh, I, I expect that he's going to go to low A next year in, in the South Atlantic League. That's a, that's a big jump. Uh, you know, we've seen guys have success before in the Gulf Coast League and, the, and then hit a wall when they, you know, when they, when they make that jump to full season ball, no, I don't expect that to happen for Garcia. But um, but that kind of is, which is really really the main reason why he's three right now, and, and Alec Bohm is still ahead of him at at number two. Is, is just Bohm is is more of an advanced player right now. There's, a, there's just more a little bit more risk and a little bit more uncertainty, I would say, with Garcia. Than there is with with Bohm, but you know if he goes out and shows he can <laughs> handle handle the bat really well against uh, against South Atlantic League pitchers next year, I I think he's got a chance to to move pretty quickly through that uh, through that organization. But again, he's he's like you said, he's still going to be 18 years old all of 2019. He's he's still at least a, a few years away. 
Sixto was the clear number one in tier of his own. Bowman Garcia, numbers two and three, kind of neck and neck. Going to Adonis Medina and Adam Hazley, who have had uh, time in the top 100 before, both have had some success. Uh, Jojo Romero and Eniel De Los Santos at six and seven also spent time in the 100. How big of a drop-off you know, was it from that top three into this middle group, or are these guys still top 100 caliber in your mind at their best? I think I think Medina has a, a very strong case to be in the top 100. Hazley, I think kind of a, that's kind of where you're just going to see the top 100 guys uh, drop off. I think you could go, you know, down to probably down to number eight right now at, at Spencer Howard, as and look at guys who all right, these guys have a you know there, there's a path where they could be, you know, De Los Angeles will probably graduate pretty quickly. Uh, but I think you look at Spencer Howard, Jojo Romero, uh, and Adam Hazley, depending on, again, how he does this year. Those are all guys I could see jumping into that top 100 mix in the future. I mean, the way Howard uh, looked in, in the second half and, and the way he finished the season, uh, usually we're sitting here talking, about, oh, all right, well, this guy got kind of you know ground down in, in August and after his first full season in pro ball. Uh, he, he got tired on the stretch with, with Howard. It was like the opposite. Like <laughs> his stuff just kept getting. Uh, it, it, there was a point early in the season where it was it was down, and then it got better and better. And then in August, it was at its best, or maybe even uh, you know September in that playoff start, he was hitting 100 and just absolutely dominating hitters. He he probably has uh, you know after Sixto, you know his his upside is probably comparable to. Uh, to Medina's, um, so I think he's a guy who I think could take potentially a, a big leap forward next year and, and be in that top 100 mix. But I, I think Medina has a strong case to uh, to be in there this year with the with with the stuff and, and the overall profile that he has. Yeah, in terms of the future for a lot of these arms, Medina, De Los Santos, uh, Romero, do you see them? F- at the end of the day, contributing to the Phillies more as starters or relievers? Because De Los Santos and Medina, you hear both sides of it. Yeah, I think Medina should be should be a starter. He has he has all the pitches to to be a starter. It's it's he's got to lock down his his commands and and some of the the sequencing in terms of the you know the the way that he he uses his pitch, but. Um, you know he's he's he throws strikes. He's he's athletic. I think the the command will will come uh, in times. The guy you know pitched all year last year as a as a 21 year old, and you know it's a it's a plus fastball. It's uh, a, a plus slider. The, the changeup at times is is plus two. So I, I think all the all the pitches are there for him to 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 really be a starter. Uh, with with Romero, you know, I think Romero definitely for me projects as a a starter. There's not like one; he has a whole bunch of pitches. In fact, I think that was something of an issue for him uh, last year, where he was just trying to throw uh, everything at hitters instead of pitching off of some of his uh, some of his strengths. But I do see him as a solid, uh, you know, number four type starter with a, with a chance for for more upside there. Uh, De Los Santos is probably the uh, the one guy where I, I do have more concerns on on him starting, uh, not not so much because of his durability. I, I think he's actually extremely durable. He's probably the, uh, one of the more durable 
pitching prospects in in the minors. It's more just about it's more about that breaking ball. Um, he, he really doesn't have that, uh, that that pitch is still a below average pitch for him. He's, he's a fastball changeup guy, and it's not a you know it's not like a Chris Paddock type of changeup. You know, it's not this you know a plus plus a really dominant type of pitch for him. So I, I think there's more. Uh, bullpen risk with with him and um, you know Howard is I think you know I I, I, sir, I think Howard has the stuff to to start if not he, he could definitely be a, a dominant uh, back end bullpen type of arm but I absolutely you know I, I, I that's not something I would think about for him for at least uh, uh, another couple of years with him still being in uh, a ball but uh, but those other guys other than I think De Los Santos has a, a lot of reliever risk just because of the, the pitch profile with him. But otherwise, I think those guys all should be able to, to contribute as, as starters for the Phillies. The Phillies have been really, really prominent in terms of the amateur scouting in California in recent years. You talked about Spencer Howard. He's a Cal Poly San Luis Obispo guy. They obviously, Obispo guy. Uh, they obviously went to uh, La Costa Canyon High School down in San Diego to get Mickey Moniak number one overall. They drafted Colton Eastman and Connor Siebold out of uh, Cal State Fullerton. You mentioned this guy earlier, Kyle Dowie, another guy that they got out of Southern California, Cal Poly Pomona, left-hander. Um, when I had Southern California draft coverage, I remember writing about him, left-hander with a power arm, but just the control was a mess. He had a really, really poor season. Uh, pitching for D2 Cal Poly Pomona, um, but you've got him ranked this year. Obviously not in the top 10, but he's he's going to be in the handbook. You alluded to him a little earlier this year. What about him really popped this year? Because you mentioned that there's there's real stuff there from the left side. He could be one of those you know pitchers who's kind of popping up a little late. Yeah, the Phillies have done a nice job with you know you talked about some of the you know notable. Uh, misses or guys who uh, are starting to look like misses at the at the top of their drafts, but they've done a really good job, especially with some of their their later round picks. Uh, and, and Kyle Doe is a, a good example of that. Yeah, you mentioned his control troubles in in college, and it's you know not like uh, you know it certainly it extended into his uh, his pro debut. He's walking a batter. Per inning, it's it didn't look like this is a guy we're going to be fast tracking by any means, and then he finishes the year in Double A because he, you know, uh, you know, you saw him get his his legs more into his delivery. I, you know, and he started to get his fastball, see some more power with that. I think the Phillies do a really good job of that of getting pitchers just to synchronize their deliveries better, their upper half and, and their lower half, really getting their um, you know, using their big muscles and their legs to get more into their deliveries and, and squeak out some some extra velocity. And he was able to, to make some mechanical adjustments, throw more strikes, and really throw that fastball up in the zone for for swing and miss. Um, plus slider, too. That can really be a, a, I mean, a, a lefty with that slider on, on lefties. Uh, is is really nice, and then the changeup too. Like, you know, as a it, it's it's almost like a starter's pitch mix, but he's a he is a, a reliever. I think you could see him maybe being like a, a multi-inning reliever at the next level because he, he does have the ability to get both 
lefties and righties out with that pitch mix, but uh, a guy who struck out 41% of batters. <laughs> and if we were talking, you know, two years ago or, or even had this conversation a year ago, uh, I don't think either of us would have <laughs> brought up Kyle Doey as a guy we would expect to be, uh, you know, fast-tracked given his control problems as a 16th-round <laughs> pick. But, uh, you know, he, he finished the year in, in double-A. He did struggle a little with his control uh, when he, he got there, but I, I think that's probably just a uh, – you know, a temporary uh, kind of an aberration for him compared to the rest of his year and what to expect going forward. Uh, he's definitely one of my favorite uh, sleepers in the system. Again, it's a, it's a reliever, so it's not a super high upside, but a really, really nice pick for them out of the out of the 16th round. No question. If you can get a potential big leaguer uh, in that later round, you've done something right. Uh, I want to circle back. Uh, we mentioned Mickey Moniak briefly, number one overall pick two years ago. Had a rough season uh, in his pro debut with Lakewood, but when I saw him, you know, I, I saw him when he was an amateur, and I saw him at Lakewood. There's some guys who are drafted high, and then you see them, and pretty clearly it's like, yeah, they messed up. He's not that good. Moniak, when I saw him, you still saw the sweet left-handed swing. You saw the ability to drive balls gap to gap. You saw the ability to go get some balls in center field. So... I remember when I came away from seeing him in Lakewood, I actually came away a lot more encouraged than I think uh, the raw numbers might have insinuated. Moved up to the Florida State League this year. Um, you know, was not the greatest season by any stretch when you look at the, the total package, but he finished pretty strong, and this is someone who was pretty young for his draft class. He finished out, you know, again, pretty strong in the Florida State League, which is not easy to do. Where is he right now, just in terms of how the Phillies see him internally and how evaluators out of house saw him as well? Yeah, he, yeah, he was. He's just outside the the top ten, and it, it kind of would be hard to to make a strong case to have him be in the top ten. Because I think, you know, if I, if I had to project what I expect him to be as a big leaguer, do I think he's going to be? You know, an, an everyday regular in center field at a big league level, probably not. But I do think he still has the potential to do that. I mean, you mentioned his second half. And the first half was rough. <laughs> it was very similar to to what he did the year before. It, it was really not looking good. But then, if you look from July on, he hit two ninety seven, three forty seven, four seventy uh, in his last fifty three games. That's that's pretty good. So there's some some glimmer of hope there. Like you said, the swing is is still there. It's still at this very smooth, sound swing from from the left side. I, I think the just the the some of the pitch recognition and 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 the the hitting approach in terms of the selectivity at the plate is not as advanced as what a lot of scouts thought when when he was an amateur. And I think the defense is not as good as what the Phillies thought he was going to be when uh, when when they drafted. I think they thought he was, you know, a potential, you know, Golden Glove type of defender in center field. Now it's uh, that that doesn't seem like it's it's the case with him. So I think there's a you know kind of a, a safer bet is is maybe a a fourth outfielder, but. Again, I, I think there's even risk for him to 
to get to to that kind of role. Uh, I think if if you're really looking for signs of hope, you're really betting on what he showed in in the second half of the year, and and I you know I think that certainly uh, that certainly counts, but. Uh, there's there's definitely a lot more risk in in Mickey Moniak than known than certainly uh, a lot of people, including myself. I I, I like the pick when they took him uh, number one overall. There's a lot more risk in uh, in his game than uh, than than what was thought a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I, again, I just go back to you know we talked about certain guys you see, and it's pretty clear right away that a mistake was made. When I saw Cornelius Randolph. It did not take long to realize, yeah, this guy's just not very good. They, they messed that up. Um, Jalen Ortiz is, is someone else that, to be just perfectly frank, was maybe the worst guy I saw last year of guys who was you know supposed to be a guy. I never got that sense with Mickey Moniak. Again, numbers weren't great, but you mentioned the swing is still there. Um, that there's still some things there, and, and, and we see that, you know, even though he's outside the top 10, when, when you get your prospect handbooks, you'll see, you know, there's still a respectable ranking there for him while, while the other guys have kind of dropped off the table. Uh, ben, just to wrap up real quick, you know, we, we hit on Kyle Doey. Is there anyone else in the system that over the course of your reporting, you know, you kind of got to the sense that this is someone who could really pop and, and maybe isn't getting a lot of love right now, but by this time next year, he might be on some radars? He has a couple guys. Again, I mentioned some of their uh, late round picks. One guy I really like as a as a sleeper for them is Logan Ohapi. And you mentioned uh, the Phillies taking guys out of SoCal. I mean, also been hitting Long Island really, really, really hard. Um, and and Logan Ohapi was a what was he yeah twenty third round pick for them this year and he got to the Gulf Coast League and he was he was really interesting there. Um hit well, plus arm, good receiver behind the plate too. Um not like a big masher type of power hitter, but uh guy who's got a pretty good idea for uh for hitting. Uh again it's you know Gulf Coast League, so wanna see how it plays at a, a you know a higher level, at least when he gets to the to, to Lakewood in the South Atlantic League, but that to me was a, a really interesting pick for for them. Uh, I could see him potentially even jumping into their uh, their top ten next year if he has a, a big breakout there. And, and then another guy who's a you know a late round pick, um, another left handed pitcher, Zach Warren, six uh, five lefty out of Tennessee. Um, you know another guy who really struggled uh, in in college and then he goes out uh, and uh, he he just looked totally different uh, like struck out more than 40 percent of the batters uh, he faced when he's coming out of that Lakewood bullpen uh, again six foot five uh, velocity went up another guy that the the Phillies kind of uh, juiced a little extra velo out of up to you know 93 to 96 or so uh, I had some trouble keeping all those, you know, six five. Had, had trouble keeping his delivery together, but the Phillies uh, did a did a much better job helping him with that this year. And, and you saw better uh, control. The the curveball is it's a it's a power curveball that can miss bats. So not you know not the upside obviously of a you know a starter or an everyday player, but 
another really interesting guy for for the Phillies in in the later rounds. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Zach Warren because I saw him at Lakewood this year. Um, you know, had no idea who he was. I had to see this huge left-hander come out of the bullpen. And it was one of the more impressive bullpen relief appearances I saw across the minors this year. 96, 95, 96, and with a lot of extension. I mean, a huge guy on the mound. It was getting on hitters real fast. I watched him both behind the plate and from the side. Uh, you want to talk about a big league arm, and not just in that he throws hard. It was everything about him. It was the delivery. It was the way his pitches moved. It was, you know, he was able to stay on line to the plate. Um, I mean, these guys couldn't touch him. I, I definitely would like to see him against, you know, better hitters, uh, high A, double A, but uh, that was absolutely, you know, we talk about guys you see that disappoint you that are supposed to be guys, and a lot of times on the exact same game, you'll find someone go, who is this guy? You know, Jalen Ortiz, I was like, yeah, this is not really anything there. And then Zach Warren comes out of the bullpen to pitch the ninth, and that was my first thought. I was, who the heck is this? This is a good player, and I'm glad you mentioned him. As we've mentioned, the Phillies, they, they seem to have done some really good things on the pitching side, and they, I think at least they found another one. I'm glad to hear you thought so, too. Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot before about the, you know, the Phillies do a really good job with, with international pitching prospects in, in Latin America. And, and certainly, you know, that's it's a big part of that is, is their, you know, their scouts and, you know, Sal Agostinelli, Carlos Salas, uh, Chalau Mendez, and, um, you know, they have a whole, you know, Kobe Perez, who, who used to be there in the Orioles, <laughs> uh, just hired him as, as their new international scouting director um you know they've, they've done a really good job finding a lot of pitching prospects in latin america for really cheap prices but uh, a lot of the credit also i think has to go to uh, obviously in addition to the the players themselves just just their pitching development guys on on the uh the coordinators and, and their coaching staff where you're seeing the results both uh you know with, with these lower level signings internationally but also these later draft picks uh, like a Zach Warren or Kyle Doey, guys who, you know, were interesting guys, but were later round picks who had a lot of red flags <laughs> on them, and, and the Phillies are taking them and uh, kind of fixing those red flags, and, and even their stuff is going up uh, a tick once they once they get to the Phillies, and, and the Phillies are, are working with those guys. So I, I think they're yeah, absolutely they're. Uh, their, their development program on the on the minor league side when it comes to to pitchers is has been a, a real big source of strength for for the organization. Absolutely. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for putting together the Phillies list for us this year and coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure as always, and uh, we appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to another BA Prospects podcast. For Ben Badler, I'm Kyle Glazer. We'll see you next time. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.